Brad, thankful to be here with you all, um, kind of, um, if I'm honest. Like, I'm really thankful to be here with you guys, but um, as I come this morning to work through this message, um, so we've been in this series called Next, uh, trying to uh, think through as a body, like, what what do we hope that God is going to do here? Who do we hope that in, in three, five years' time, because we'll see what God does, what do we hope we look like? Just who do we hope we are. And so we've uh, kind of talked through our vision statement, which is hanging in the hallway. We talked about our mission uh, to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel to our city and ourselves. Uh, and then we've talked about what it means to be formed in Christ. We've talked about what it means to have local impact as a body in the neighborhood, the city in which we meet. And this week we come uh, to talk about what it means for River City Church to be a church that is diverse. And we're going to be able to walk through um, what we mean by that. But um, when I hear that word, and maybe you're like me, and so I just want to take a second and, and at least address this. Um, maybe that makes you feel kind of insecure. I mean, that makes you kind of feel weak. Maybe that brings up a pain that you've felt in your life uh, because of either a lack of diversity or what it's meant uh, for you to seek out diversity. Uh, maybe it just makes you feel tired. Um, and, and so I want to, right off the bat this morning, before we jump both into God's Word, as well as uh, as we spend time talking through um, our future at River City Church as it relates to being a diverse body, I'm going to spend uh, a few minutes in prayer together around this, uh, that it would truly be the Word of God and the person of Jesus that would move and change us in terms of how we think about other people who are different than us in a variety of ways, no matter who you are, and as you look at the world around you and see people uh, that, that have some difference from you, that, that it would be the heart of God as expressed in Jesus uh, that would motivate you, and then also that we would have a really clear and quick reminder uh, that this isn't about us, ultimately. Uh, that, that, that maybe today um, I will say some things, you're like, well, he didn't go far enough. Maybe some things I'll say today, you'll be like, oh, what a shill. I don't even know what that word means, but maybe you'll call me that. Or something worse. I don't know what your emotions are going to be. Um, I don't know how you're going to receive the things that we will think through today. Uh, but let me assure you, I had none of you in mind. Um, if anything, my goal throughout this was not to have me in mind, <laughs> like not to just try and not offend my own sensibilities or champion something of my own, but really dig into the Word of God outside of culture and time and moment and say, what would it mean for River City Church to become Diverse. Uh, this is how we've expressed this value. It'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, we hope that in three years, that River City would be no would be would be knowing and loving the people of Grand Rapids. That we would reflect the diversity of the city and race, socioeconomics, age, and ability. Would you pray with me for a moment, uh, Lord God? You are transcendent. You are the God of all, whether you are recognized as such or not. You are the king of the universe. God, thank you that you came down and you took on flesh. You entered into the human experience in both some of its limitations and its pain. God, and in the struggle to live a spirit-filled life. And so, God, as we come to your word today, uh, as we try and work through what it might mean for us to grow in reflecting our city. God, I pray that you would do a work of 
even right in this moment, bringing peace to our hearts. Uh, reminding us, Lord, that there is grace for what we haven't done, as we said last week. God, reminding us that there is power for what you've called us to be and do. God, will we center both what we want as well as what we pursue uh, on the people that you are calling us to be. God, ultimately to the end, uh, the, the people of Grand Rapids would see you and be able to delight in you, that they would glorify you, Lord, as they hear the gospel uh, from feeble instruments like us. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to start in John chapter 17 today, uh, starting with this, this idea. Uh, following Jesus enables oneness amongst his followers. Following Jesus enables oneness amongst his followers. John 17, starting at verse 20. Uh, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through the word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me so that they may become one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Uh, Jesus here is speaking uh, broadly to his disciples. He, he's praying. He has actually just specifically prayed for his disciples that are present. But now he tells us, hey, I'm, I'm about to pray. I'm about to say something, not just for these people here, but for all believers everywhere at all time. He says, this is not just for these, not just these people gathered here in this moment. He says, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So Jesus says, hey, I'm about to say something about what believers are supposed to be, what they're supposed to feel like, what, what the uh, bond that holds them together is going to be. And that's not just for you. It's for you and everyone who will hear the message of Jesus through you, he says to the disciples. His prayer uh, in front of the disciples for everyone that would come after and believe in Jesus, oneness, unity. The level of unity that God calls his church to, those that follow Jesus, that is those who have believed in the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh, came and lived a sinless life, that he died a death in our place, that he offers us that righteous life and that payment for our sin that was offered up on the cross, and then he rose from the dead and then offered you new life as you became one with him. That gospel message calls you to a unity that, if I'm honest, is like mystifying and terrifying to me. Because what kind of unity does he call believers to? He calls them to the same unity that is found in the Trinity. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, he says, would the believers, uh, would the followers of Jesus, would those that believe in Jesus through his word, they ought to have the same unity as God, who is both three and one has. And that's like a scary call, isn't it, right? Uh, because I don't even like the same TV shows as some of you, um, especially one of you who's a pastor here, um, who woke me up at 7 a.m. to tell me about She-Hulk. He didn't wake me up. I woke up, but my eyes opened to Troy's beard and a stream of words that I wish I could forget. <laughs> you agree. See, unity, we're done. He thinks it's trash. No, that's mean because he loves it. God calls us to a kind of unity that is staggering. 
Now, that joke is maybe not even that helpful because what he's calling us to is not unity in our preferences, right? When Jesus says, hey, I, I want you to be one like the Father is one, he's not saying uh, you have to like the same kind of music and wear the same kind of clothes and be from the same place and eat all the same foods. That's not what he's saying. Uh, no, the unity is actually much scarier than that because it's unity at the very core of how we make our decisions. Uh, we see from Scripture that, that in the person of God, in this Trinity relationship of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there is absolute lockstep unity around the choices and the purpose behind those choices that is made within that body called the Trinity, called God. Uh, even to the point that we see Jesus submit to the will of the Father in his heading towards death. That him, as a human, had to stand before God and say, God, is there any other way, right? Is there any other way that this cup, this cup of wrath, this pain that I'm about to face, is there any other way? If not, though, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. The kind of unity that believers are called to is a radical oneness exhibited in the very Trinity of God. Uh, the ability of all people in the church to be one is not only called uh, to, to resemble or to model or to mirror the unity of the Godhead. Uh, we're told here that it is also enabled by it. And that's where we find the grace and good news in this, okay? He says, uh, verse 22, I've, I've given them the glory that you've given me so that they may be one as we have been one. I am in them and you are in me so that they have been made completely one and that the world might know that you have sent me and loved them as you have loved me. The picture that Jesus paints of his church, that is believers across all time in all places, is a people who have been fundamentally changed and so they have a unity that in a sense is inescapable. Now, they can fail to live into that unity. Uh, they can have dissension, we see in Scripture, uh, around their preferences and the things that they think they should or shouldn't do. But Jesus proclaims here that the church, at its core, is united. He says, I have given them my glory. Like, I have, in calling them into me and in my ways, I have given to them the glory that you have given to me. And their oneness is not now of their own pursuit alone, but it is something that is intrinsic in them, in their belief in following Jesus. Uh, lastly, in this section, we see that this oneness that Jesus has called us to and enabled, that has been modeled in the Trinity, uh, has a purpose. It is evangelistic. Uh, I'll read verse 23 again. I am in them and you are in me that they may be completely one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus says that the unity of the local church across different peoples, different places, different times is to be a testimony to the world of the divinity of Jesus himself. Now, that's a staggering call for me. I don't know about you. Now, when I say I feel tired, insecure, weak as I come to this, I think that line's driving a lot of it. That the unity of the body, that when people see the local church, and, and I really do believe also the global church, right? Like sometimes we talk about a little C and big C church. I think this is, this is both. That when people see uh, the, the microchasm of the greater church in the local body, and when people view the church as a whole, the intention of God is that the world would see it and be blown away by the unity that is found in it, that they would go, yeah, Jesus must be real. 
Because there's just no way these people would come together and agree in these ways. There's no way that a people could be so bound to each other were it not for Jesus. This is the call that we start with. Following Jesus calls us to, it also enables oneness amongst his followers. Uh, How do we think at River City we should in this moment uh, take our first steps forward in diversity? Uh, We believe, as, as it said in that statement, the first step is that we would know and love the people of Grand Rapids that we would know and love the people of Grand Rapids. And let me walk you through a two-step of why I think this is an important first step, okay? Uh, Learning about people leads to loving them in so many ways. Learning about people leads to loving. Uh, This is not just the people themselves, but this is also kind of what makes them tick. Taking time to step into uh, the places, traditions, and lifestyles of people that are different than us allows us to learn about them. One of the first things that I think we're called to be as a people who exist in this town, when I say Grand Rapids, I do mean the city, but I also mean kind of the greater Grand Rapids area because I recognize that we come from a lot of different areas even within this greater Grand Rapids area. So so think about your context and where you are placed, that you have been called uh, to be a person who pursues the unity of the church, who evangelistically, because of the unity of the church, draws other people to Jesus, how do you begin to interface with these people around you? I think the first thing is just to try and take some time to have some understanding. That we would start to see the way that people live, that we would start to understand their practices and learn about them, that as we learn about the love of others, that we would begin to have a common ground to build upon with the people around us. Learning more about the people of our city, the context in which we've been placed, our co-workers, our friends, our family, those we go to school with, our, our neighbors, leads to us being able to love them in the first place. Now, learning that leads to loving. Uh, secondly, uh, we need to have an empathy that then empowers our knowing. Now, as we begin to understand uh, the background, uh, the struggles of others, we then have a window into their perspective. Knowing where someone's coming from allows us to find ways that our own experiences and stories intersect, and this provides for grounds with which to have empathy. I firmly believe that that Christians should be the most empathetic people in the entire world. Followers of Jesus should have uh, a clear window into what it means to enter into the struggle of other people. Why is that? Because that is exactly one of the many things that Jesus did when he came and took on human flesh is he became a God that that already was empathetic. He didn't change in any way, but his empathy, his understanding of our situation became incredibly more visible to us, didn't it? Because he entered into our condition. He got hungry. His tummy hurt sometimes, right? He became like you, okay? Jesus was empathetic. Jesus shows us what it looks like as we enter into the experience of others to begin to feel some of what they feel. Because the truth is that that each and every one of us craves being known, being understood. And so as we seek to be a people that share the truth of the gospel in Grand Rapids, uh, that empathy, that learning, knowing, and loving the people of our city then allows us to be able to cast a wide net. 
It allows us to begin to be able to pursue evangelism within the context of our city uh, in a way that is broad and affects a large number of people. Calling in Jesus enables oneness amongst his followers. Uh, we want to be a people that know and love the people of Grand Rapids. Uh, you and I are then called to pursue this picture of the future kingdom that we are given. So, so we started with Jesus' words in the book of John. Jesus telling uh, really the foundation of the church, here's the unity that you should express. Uh, let's fast forward uh, to Revelation, to a scripture talking about what the future is going to be looking like after this vision that Jesus laid out um, is taken hold. So this is Revelation uh, chapter 7. We'll start at verse 9. If you want to turn there, follow along on the screen. Uh, this is what the word says. After this I looked. And there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Uh, the clear picture of the future of believers, of the kingdom of God come to full fruition, is a diverse kingdom. Uh, this is just one time. Uh, there are at least uh, uh, eight other times in the book of Revelation that this phrase um, from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people is used over and over again. It is a resounding cry of the book of Revelation. Now, why was that? Because in this time in which the Bible was written, in the time in which Revelation was penned, uh, societies were inherently deeply nationalistic. Not only in their, their nationalism, but also in the tribalism of their culture and people and place. The world was very, very segmented. And so one of the ways the Bible tries to paint a picture of what the future in Jesus is going to be look like, uh, one of the ways that it tries to shock the reader of the Bible, in particular in its early context, is to read this and think it's impossible, right? That they would read this and think every tribe and every tongue and every nation that they would picture in this moment those that were their enemies, those that were foreign or alien to them, those that they didn't understand or they were scared of in some way, shape, or form. Uh, even one step further, for some of them, they would look upon people who had mistreated them and think every tribe and every tongue and every nation will be reflected then. This picture of a wonderfully broad, multicultural, multifaceted kingdom is drawn that is staggering. Notice here, while every single person is different, their nation, their tribe, their people, their language, there's this great call to the diversity of the moment. They're all dressed in the same way. And they're all doing the same thing. And that breaks my heart. Because like it, it's a reminder and a call to me that we are called to be a people that are radically different from each other, united around our practice and united around our salvation. Because that's what that white robe symbolizes. That they stand before the creator of the universe. They stand before Jesus and they cry out for the glory of the lamb. And in that moment, they are unified in their salvation and their worship of Jesus. This is the future that we are called to. And so if this is our perfect kingdom future, then we must seek 
desire a, a picture of it in our moment now. If this is our perfect kingdom, then the future seeds of this thing ought to be already planted in our hearts and the labor towards it must begin. Now, I feel pretty good about everything I've done so far, okay? Because I feel like if you disagree, we'll talk about it. But like, man, this is what Jesus paints the church to be. Um, I think it's, it's, it's overwhelmingly clear that this is what he wants the church to be. It is a, a radically unified body made up of people from all different walks of life, from places, from nation, from tribe and tongue. Uh, but where this gets really difficult is how do we do it? How does it play out here? And I just want to come to this um, with, I, I hope, a lot of honesty and, 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 and a fair amount of humility and just say, I don't have perfect answers for you, okay? I don't have perfect answers for you as to how we pursue diversity as a church. Um, but I do think I know one thing that seems overwhelmingly clear, that the fi fundamental tool uh, through which we pursue the diversity of the body is evangelism. How does the church grow in diversity? Well, it grows in diversity from the people of God having a radical view of what their call to the world around them is, that they exist as foreigners in a land. They exist as missionaries. No matter if the people around them look like them, talk like them, have the same amount of money as them, and come from the same place as them, that they pursue the world around them as missionaries. That it is evangelism that ultimately is what arrives us at a multicultural, uh, multi-socioeconomic, different age and ability type of church. It is evangelism. Because common error that we make is that for some reason, uh, churches which are, are committed to sharing the good news of Jesus... Uh, churches that, that are called, and they know they are called to evangelism, sometimes when they try and approach diversity, uh, become churches that seem to not want to bring people in who don't yet know Jesus and have them hear about the kingdom, but become churches that just try and attract other people that already believe the same thing as them and just look different. And, and this can lead to, I think, a dangerous um, tokenism or even like a fetishization of people that just look or sound different. Now, We'll talk in a moment about how, how precious it is for us to grow in those ways as well, because it is precious, but the primary means through which we are to seek diversity in the body is being a people that are reaching out with the gospel to a diverse group of people. We as the people of God are called to share the gospel. It is our fundamental tool, both for evangelism as well as our own sanctification and changing into becoming more like Jesus. Now, we do have to stop for a moment and think about this concept of minority versus majority culture. Now, we must acknowledge that, that in our body here at River City, we are skewed demographically in a few different ways. Uh, we must acknowledge that for us, uh, there's a particular need to evaluate the work to be done in pursuing a diverse future united around Jesus, uh, thinking about people that are different from us, because uh, many of us exist as middle class-ish um, white individuals who are from this nationality already. Many of us do. Not all of us, praise God. 
but many of us. And it is true that when you are part of a majority group in any given place, because the gospel isn't just about America, that it becomes hard. Amen? Anyone? Like, uh, it becomes hard to see the people around you and to understand that their experiences are often just as prevalent as yours, but you are not a part of the same subset that they are. We must think about the fact that for our body, that it will often be more difficult to work into groups of people that don't necessarily think, look, or have the same backgrounds as us. Now, I want to make sure we back up, though, to the way that, that we crafted this statement around diversity, because it is intentionally very broad, and if anything, I wish the list was longer. Uh, that our goal as a body is not to pursue racial diversity alone. We also want to be a church that's uh, diverse in socioeconomics. That we be a church that has people coming from different levels of income, different backgrounds, different career paths, different levels of social status as it may play out in front of us. But we hope to be a church that grows in diversity of age. We are a young church, which is common for church plants. We want to see as we grow older as a body, that we continue to add younger people and that we pursue those who are older because there are old people that don't know Jesus and there are young people that don't know Jesus. So we desire to reach them with the gospel. Uh, the last one, uh, we desire to be a church that would grow in diversity of ability. Uh, that there are a multitude of different kinds of people in this world with different struggles, backgrounds, and abilities. And so we desire to be a church that would be loving and come alongside people who, who struggle with different things than us, who have different capacities in different areas than each other. We want to be a church that grows in all these sorts of diversity through pursuing a whole host of different types of people with the truth of the gospel. Uh, because for many of us, the work that is to be done is in reaching out to those who are different than us, we also need to acknowledge that that's going to sometimes be difficult. It is going to take sometimes more work for us to pursue the multitudes of different kind of people in our city than it would to just go for people that feel really easy and natural to us. And let me say this, like you don't necessarily need to persecute yourself for every single part of that. There might be parts that you need to really think through, like where real prejudice and bias play in, or where your heart is controlled by fear that is maybe grounded in things that are just untrue. In regards to any of those areas of diversity, we want to see the gospel touch those things to remind us of the image of God in all of mankind and, and pursue it as such. But as we reach out to people that are different than us, it takes learning. It takes empathy. It takes acknowledging. Because ultimately, our goal is that as the work of evangelism happens, that we then are able to step into unified fellowship. This is 1 Peter 3, uh, starting at verse 8. This is uh, kind of roll into a conclusion off of this. It says, Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil, or insult for insult, but on, on the contrary, giving a blessing. Since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. As we see River City Church grow in diversity, if our fellowship, that is our connection to one another in the local church, if it is founded or centered on something other than Jesus, it will become more and more difficult and we, and we risk becoming exclusive to one or two or three kinds of people. 
If our fellowship, if our connection to each other is founded on anything other than Jesus, and that means even good stuff, right? Like, we cannot be a church that's like, we only, we only do this kind of activity together. We only root for this team. We only eat this kind of food because naturally it will segment us. Anything we rally around other than Jesus will hamper us moving forward and growing and reflecting the people of our city. Instead, we want the relationships that we have in our church to be built on Jesus so that we are able to cast an infinitely wide net for all that have the opportunity to feel they belong. Uh, when Peter writes these words, he is writing to believers that have been scattered all over the empire. A people who are constantly coming in contact with people that are different than them, people with different backgrounds than them, who are trying to figure out how to gather in these new ways. And so let me read these words again and think about those people that he's calling them to. Think about these people who are, who are like orphaned from their families, who are not around the old jobs that they used to have, who have been pushed to the, to the literal edges of the places in which they live. So, so hear these words again and hear what he calls them to be. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you might inherit the blessing. Here's what I love about uh, the book of 1 Peter in particular, is that sometimes it's really hard to tell uh, if he's speaking about how believers treat other believers or if he's speaking about how believers treat the world around them. And, and you can either get frustrated by that or you can see that maybe some of that blurring is a really good line. That, that Peter's instructions to them that they would be like-minded. Well, that's clearly for the church, right? Like the unity that they're going to find is around Jesus. And so that's, that's calling them to believers. Uh, but then these other attributes begin to blur the lines between just what happens in the family of God locally to the way that they think about people outside of them, to the way that they think about people in their body. He says, be sympathetic. Oh, what a word for our time and place. Be sympathetic. Give a rip about what somebody else feels. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Oh, these are virtues which feel like they would be a glass of cool water to a world in a drought. Sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble. Not paying back evil for evil. That when attacked, criticized, even physically harmed, not paying back insult for insult, but on the contrary, when hurt or insulted, they would give a blessing. He says, church, this is what you were called to. You were called to give a blessing because you're going to inherit a blessing that Jesus has given us this unity. He has empowered it and equipped it. So we as a church must grow in learning and understanding the lives of those who don't know Jesus in our city, who come from different backgrounds, cultures, perspectives, and abilities. And, and we are going to require uh, the work of the Spirit of God to do any of this. 
It is only the Spirit of God which is going to change our hearts that we might love others. It is the only the Spirit of God that can help arise empathy where we maybe feel cold and shut off or square, scared. It is the love of God inspired by the Holy Spirit that can change even what we love, that we might seek to love some things that we didn't love before in the name of seeking out those who are different than us, believing that we desperately want to hear them to hear the gospel. Uh, to this end, here's just a few things that we hope to have happen in the next year's time. Uh, one, we host to help to, at some point, uh, host a, a speaker to help us understand uh, a different culture in Grand Rapids. And I don't know who that's going to be or what culture that's going to be. But at some point, um, we hope to invite somebody in over the course of this next year as we pursue this, just to help us, help us learn, help us understand uh, how we as a body can pursue uh, another people group that maybe uh, a lot of us aren't a part of. Maybe some of us even are, who knows? Uh, second, we want to uh, execute either training or a study, uh, continue to help us grow our, our hearts and our minds, love and feelings around these things. I'm uh, hoping that maybe we'll be able to do another book club or, or even like a weekend study later in the year. Uh, and then lastly, we want to encourage all of you, and this is the one that can really start now and we hope to continue to press into both in city groups as well in your own lives. Take time, try and think about where, where you as an individual or you as your city group might find a space in Grand Rapids that feels different to you. A, a place that's not in your normal rhythm, uh, a place filled with people that, that you don't feel like are like you in a lot of ways. And think about what it might mean for you to begin to step into other spaces. Spaces that, that maybe even have a natural, uh, a natural first step for you to be into, uh, and spaces that might challenge you to get to know people that are different than you, because it is a beautiful thing for us to be informed by others. It is a beautiful thing to get to view the lives of all sorts of different people. And I, like I said, this is, this is so intentionally broad. I don't know what that's going to be for you. I don't know what opportunity God has given you to step into a group of people that, that you can learn from. Uh, but our heart as we do it is that we would step into it with the heart that Peter described. Uh, that you would step in seeking to love those people. You'd step in compassionate and humble. You're not there to teach. You're there to see, learn, listen. You'd step in knowing that, that there might be times in there, uh, whether because of your faith or other things, that you're going to feel hurt. You're going to feel things that are difficult. And you're going to offer a blessing. Because ultimately, your heart is that you would be able to communicate the truth of who Jesus is, how he has loved you and sought you, despite the fact that you were infinitely different from him, and that he sought to bless you and care for you. So let's pray to this end. Let's pray uh, that we would be a church that would grow in the way that we reflect our city, uh, that we would know and love the people of Grand Rapids, so that we would reflect the diversity of the city in race, socioeconomics, age, and ability. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this moment and this time. Thank you for your faithfulness to attend to the preaching of your word. God, that, that we would hear um, what is from you. And, and Lord, um, in this moment, like if there are things that I've said that, that have come from me that, that, that are an inhibitor uh, to hearing what your word is pointing us to, God, would you graciously allow those uh, to not be where our heart lands? Um, instead, Lord, would we focus uh, on the, the Savior that has saved us and inviting as many people as we can to step into this family, which we've been blessed to be a part of. God, we pray that you would continue to change and grow us in these ways. And we pray, amen.